So the soft landing, did it happen? I, what we're seeing now, I think we can describe as a soft landing, and my hope is that it will, it will continue. So you did it. <laughs> well, the American people did it. Um, the American people uh, go to work every day, participate in the labor market, form new businesses. But President Biden has uh, tried to create incentives that give Americans the tools they need to help this economy grow. The current administration is patting themselves on the backs using rigged data and financial propaganda as the soft landing narrative precedes the likely next recession. Yet more accurate data points to job participation levels, still not near their pre-2020 COVID levels. Some interesting job data rigging points to consider. 10 out of the last 11 jobs reports were revised lower. 25% of job gains in 2023 were ultimately revised away. Government jobs account for 25% of December 2023 job gains. Part-time jobs up 762,000, full-time jobs down 1.5 million in December 2023. Full-time job gains are flat for 2023, while part-time is up sharply. Rigged inflation-adjusted earnings are still negative 3% below 2021 levels, and likely worse as the fiat financial powers that be consistently underreport real inflation by a factor of two to three times consistently. The fiat financialized markets began this year expecting as many as seven rate cuts from the Fiat Federal Reserve beginning as early as March 2024. You know what they say about assumptions being the mother of all screw-ups? Well, this week the U.S. 10-year yield climbed above 4%, and there's a case to be made that before the Fiat Federal Reserve rushes into their next rounds of rate cuts and infinite QE's inevitable return and their balance sheet exploding, the U.S. 10-year could climb well beyond its recent October high above 5% last year, 2023. Why this matters so much is that many U.S. banks with large combined holdings, both supposedly FDIC-insured deposits and many uninsured over the 250K threshold deposits, they're still teetering on the edge of bankruptcy. And while the March 2023 mini bank run crisis has been emergency loaned over ever since, we can see that these emergency bank loan piles are still growing, especially toward the end of last year, recently updated. The USA's OFR, or Office of Financial Research, put out a 10-page memo to end last month, December 2023, of which I will, backlink, uh, I will backlink in the show notes below. In short, climbing yields on U.S. 10-year notes, for example, are potentially the next domino in further bank failures to come. The report cites that at the time there were 10 banks with a combined $3.4 trillion in assets that if their fair value losses in their security portfolios were recognized by, say, another run on bank deposits akin to what we saw early last year, 2023, that could possibly result in their falling into receivership. They go on to state that if the 10-year yield climbs higher and higher, that puts more and more large banks and asset pools in crosshairs of potential bank failure and receivership. Their research confirmed that, quote, number one, fair value losses in bank assets due to increased interest rates pose a risk to their solvency. Number two, uninsured deposits are the catalyst for bank runs in the case of loss of confidence event. And number three, interest rate hedging at current levels is not enough to insulate most banks from fair value losses. They conclude that U.S. banking system, quote, remains pressured by conditions similar to those that precipitated the failures of SVB, SB, and FRB, including large 
fair value losses in security portfolios, a declining base of deposits, and elevated and potentially increasing interest rates. These difficult current conditions are reflected in underperforming bank equity prices, as well as selected downgrades and future outlook warnings by nationally recognized statistical rating organizations. We believe that the current unsettled conditions combined with higher interest rates could set conditions for future bank failures. Now, this is a, a much larger chart in terms of time frame uh, displayed, and it's showing you that the 10 year bond in the United States history, financial history, if you look at the 1981 peak to the 2020 all time COVID low, uh, the assumption that yields are going lower sooner than later uh, might be wrong, especially in the short and even medium term. My strong suggestion is that you begin to watch the 10 year yield and where it goes. There is still over $6 trillion in uninsured deposits in U.S. banks, which, as the authors of this research report that I just read to you, suggest could be the largest catalyst for future bank runs. Further bank system consolidations that have been going on pretty much since the 2008 GFC and before. And my suggestion is eventual crisis that makes an inevitable and eventual CBDC launch in the USA not resisted, but instead a welcome, quote, solution over continuing bank failure cycles to come. Central banks admitted reporting to having added net about 6,250 times the gold bullion you see in this hand here. Well, that is just over 44 metric tons of official gold bullion buying for November 2023. Most of the central bank gold buying of late has been coming from the global south. They've been aggressively moving away from U.S. dollar dominance and holding U.S. dollars in their reserves and instead opting for gold bullion. We're going to do a deeper dive into that topic second half of this week's update. Stick around for that. It was insightful for me. I'm suggesting it's going to be insightful for you. Now, we're going to likely have to wait one more month to get the official central bank gold bullion buying figure for 2023. We'll see if last year's all-time record high number gets matched and or not. To put this additional 44 metric tons uh, buying in the month of November 2023 in further perspective, the record amount of gold bullion coins sold by the U.S. Mint in 2023, that amounts to just over 46 metric tons in weight. So think in terms of all the American Gold Eagle coins and Gold Buffalo coins sold over last year, 2023, it's just a little bit more than what central banks admit to have bought in November of last year alone. Here is a raw troy ounce sales data for the U.S. bullion coin sales over the last 38 years. Um, as well, we can look at the Silver Eagle coin sales of last year. They moved up slightly in overall troy ounces in terms of Silver Eagle coins sold out to the public. And that's thanks in large part to lowering premiums uh, in 2023, especially the second half compared to 2022, for instance. As we look out at the all-time overvalued U.S. stock market using its broadest into see the Wilshire 5000. Uh, we compare it to US GDP throughout this time frame. We can see that uh, we're not only in the most overvalued period of all time, but it's potentially a stock bear market is likely underway. Although it's been masked by recent nominal price rallies to close 2023 and some of the larger uh, stocks uh, in the indices. Even stock cheerleading channels in the West are having to recognize that gold north of 2100 an ounce and silver later on playing catch up to gold is simply another rhyme in time and likely inevitable. And for the final three stock lunch trade of the year, it isn't a stock, it's a commodity and it's gold. It's up 14% so far this year. It's on track for its best year since 2020. 
it's not the digital stuff. It's the real hard. You use it in electronics. You buy it in bullion or cubes and coins. Is this going to be a trade for 2024, Boris? It could be. I mean, I think the greatest thing about gold is actually the price action, right? It's trading very, very well. It seems to be you know, it seems to be accumulating all the way to the end of the year. However, gold is just notorious for fake outs. It's been flirting with this 2100 all-time highs three, four times already. To me, a real buy here, if you're kind of a long-term trader, is going to be if it breaks 2100 and holds it on a monthly closing basis. Then I think you have a lot of confidence, as well as the fact that if you kind of look at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange futures market, and if it does 250,000 or more contracts per day, that's also going to be a very good sign there's going to be a lot of volume coming in. I mean, ultimately, gold is basically a fear trade on fiat, right? So if we have any problems with the deficit, if we have any problems with interest rate coverage of the deficit, all of those things and the geopolitics that could happen in 2024 could definitely make it skyrocket. But I'd like to see the price confirm all of this movement ahead of time so it's not a fake out again. All right, so so Surat, without, let's not talk about gold for a second. Let's talk about silver. I was going to say Bitcoin. Which some people are calling the catch-up <laughs> trade to gold because it hasn't been as much of a focal point. So I think gold needs to lead before silver starts to catch up. It's always been that case. But I do like the gold idea. We own it. To your word of 2024 geopolitics, that's why you want gold as part of your portfolio. We own it through tech resources in Wheaton, but I think you want to have it as part of your diversified portfolio. All right. Hello, this is James Anderson on behalf of SD Bullion. Smash the like button if you enjoy these bullion market updates. Subscribe to our channel here for weekly bullion market updates with exclusive bullion service offerings like this one. The worst day on Wall Street since the crash of 1987. We're now down 43%. This could be the most serious recession in decades. Protect your retirement with gold and silver IRAs. Learn more at sdbullion.com backslash IRA. The silver and gold spot price in fiat U.S. dollars sold off slightly this week, mainly driven by relative fiat U.S. dollar strength in the Dixie. The spot gold price closed just over 2,050 an ounce ask, while the spot silver price finished just over 23 an ounce ask after briefly dipping into the high 22 an ounce intra-week weakness. The spot gold-silver ratio climbed on the relative weakness in silver to close the week at 88. The Financial Times was back at it this week publishing opinion pieces on why the Western world needs to come together in order to steal the frozen $300 billion in U.S. debt assets that Russia bought fair and square. And the opinion piece suggests that confiscating them and handing them over to Ukraine in the coming months, and yes, I've been hammering you with this story because it's crazy. I've been telling you this for weeks now, but this move is a major potential escalation in losing our trust level further internationally. Former central banker and global liquidity plumber Kathleen Tyson had the following rebuttal on Twitter X regarding this article, quote, rather insignificant economist says seizing Russian reserves is the right thing to do on precedent that is entirely U.S. stealing other assets in the past and agreed reparations between victors and vanquished after declared wars. I have a JD in international law. He's wrong. The U.S. was able to steal assets without consequences in the past with debt of $34 trillion and annual interest of 1.1 trillion. I'm not sure it gets away consequence free this time. Now I want to stay with Kathleen Tyson here uh, and I want to end this week's update with some snippets from her recent presentation October last year 2023. It was published this week. 
regarding the multipolar world order changes afoot, I believe she calls it multi-currency mercantilism. Now, I had mentioned this earlier in this update and displaying the record gold bullion buying that's been happening mostly from the Eastern world. Now, she brings up um, a little bit of information regarding this in her presentation, and I'm going to give you not the full presentation, but snippets of what she did. It's a 15-minute presentation. I'll leave a link in the, in the show notes below. Kathleen has a deep resume and many positive insights on where the greater world is trending. Have a look. Hello, I am going to talk about multi-currency mercantilism. And this is a, the scary idea that the world moves away from the US dollar, which was 87% of all global transactions in 2021. But something broke in 2022. And now most of the world, 80 countries, have decided that they are moving to local currency trade in their own currencies and away from the US dollar. Now, my background, I started out at the place that creates the dollar, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. And I was on the Settlement Systems Studies Group. Then I went and I dematerialized securities in London for the Securities Investments Board, and I supervised the two global depositories, Euroclear and Clearstream. And then I decided the systems we have aren't good enough. I'm going to build new ones. So I'm going to walk you through how that's going to work. Basically, uh, when the last monetary order, Bretton Woods, was designed in 1944, the United States had 80% of all global gold, the largest military, dominant military on the planet, and most of the GDP, half of all world GDP. That's no longer true, none of it. Now, the greatest economic activity is in Asia. That usually circle has more than half of humanity in it, and they're growing at between five and eight percent. And they want a monetary order that suits them. So the world's changing. I'm not gonna run through the history, but give, you know, history is changing very, very fast. So now we're at the new monetary order, which I called multi-currency mercantilism. The reason it's mercantilist is because the aim of a mercantilist system is for a state, a nation, to collectively increase its wealth through trade, through activity with other states. A capitalist system, the aim is for private wealth to accumulate, often untaxed and stateless. So that's the difference between mercantilism and capitalism. And the last year changed everything because the 12,000 sanctions that the collective West put on Russia broke the system. Other states looked at those sanctions and they thought, we have to defend ourselves. We have to defend our wealth from freezing, seizure, expropriation. And the way to do that is to move away from the dollar. And the key moment was in December of last year when President Xi stood with the six heads of state of the Gulf Cooperation Council and invited them to trade oil in Shanghai for Yuan ending 50 years of the petrodollar. So my, I'm gonna give you the happy news. This is all good. It's going to be okay. I know that the, the United States, the Federal Reserve, the Treasury are all terrified. And yes, it's going to change for them. There will be a new balance of power. But for the rest of the world, for the seven billion people that have been largely voiceless in, in the institutions that ran the world under the dollar, they are going to be actually much, much better off. 
And the transition can be gradual and stable. It really depends on whether we have wider wars, unfortunately. If there's a war in the Levant that widens from Gaza, if there's a war in Asia over Taiwan or any other cause, this, the, the transition will still happen. It will accelerate, but it will become chaotic and unpredictable. So we're all better off if there's no war. The reason it can be stable, I'll just run you through the numbers. All global trade in goods, we're talking about physical things, all global trade in goods, $46 trillion. Now I told you earlier, foreign exchange trade is $1,900 trillion. So $46 trillion is a very small part of that. And only half of that is dollar trade right now. So, um, so $46 trillion trade. $23 trillion, $11.5 trillion moves to local currency trade. As a proportion of global capital markets flows, it's only about 0.04%. Not very much. We probably won't even notice it unless there's a war and the, the shift becomes chaotic and the capital markets become destabilized. As long as there's no further wars, the capital markets will continue to trade mostly in dollar because 90% of the foreign exchange trade is against dollar, most derivatives margin is in dollar, most bond market, the treasuries are the largest bond market and they're dollar. So as long as there's no war, the rest of the capital markets can remain stable and we don't have to have a panic. Great thing about the new world that's coming, no new hegemon. We still have the United States. The United States will still try and throw its weight around by wars, assassinations, destabilizations, and all of that, that it's characterized the last 100 years. But the 80 countries moving towards a new world don't want a new hegemon. And certainly President Xi said at the latest BRICS summit that there is no hegemonic DNA in China, that China for 5,000 years has never been hegemonic, and it's not going to be hegemonic now. So that's good news. Globalization will accelerate we hear all this stuff about de-risking, about uh, friendshoring. It's nonsense. Globalization actually is going to accelerate as the BRICS countries and the other countries of the global south do more joint development deals with each other and substitute other currencies instead of dollar. Right now, 30% of the global economy is locked out of the global economy because of dollar sanctions and OFAC sanctions. Those, that 30%, which is Iran, Russia, Syria, uh, Venezuela, Cuba, those countries can come in and engage with the non-dollar world. So that shifting to other currencies besides dollar means that they actually accelerate globalization. And that's a happy thing. And, and, and then initiatives like the, the Belt and Road Initiative are having a huge effect on the, the capacity for productivity globally. Because there's more power plants, because there's better logistics, because there's more cooperation on development. It's accelerating globalization. And the new system where we move to local currency trade can promote that. Um, Ghana announced earlier this year that it was going to buy its oil for gold. They produce gold. They have gold. Central banks love gold. 2023 is a record year for central bank gold accumulation. So Ghana thought, oh, well, why don't we buy the oil we need with gold? Their inflation rate dropped by more than 80% from the announcement. 
So the inflation rate is still pretty high. It's like 30 something percent. But compared to where it started the year at 169 percent, um, it's, it's a vast improvement. So new systems that are based on barter or other currencies can actually help countries control inflation, promote development. And finally, the gold standard is absolutely a brilliant way to control inflation. If we go back to gold, it's probably good for us. Uh, the, the graph there shows the price of a Campbell's soup can uh, in gold. Up until 1971, it was pretty much absolutely stable. But as soon as Nixon delinked from gold, the United States has had nothing but inflation. And so if we go back to gold as the basis of international monetary discipline, that's probably good. So gold comes back as a hegemonic asset. Uh, and we see the, the little cartoon is representing the fact that, um, that, that China is hurling its dollars at the United States, and the United States is hurling gold back at China. Gold is flowing east. There have been record purchases of gold this year. China has been buying gold every month and, and announcing it to the world. Uh, and they are um, uh, not buying treasuries quite so much anymore. They're down to the same level of treasuries they held in 2008 at 807 billion. They've been reducing their exposure. So gold demand is up among central banks and that indicates the direction of travel because they are the insiders. The biggest challenge to making the transition stable is debt. Uh, there are $307 trillion of debt in issuance, and that debt is becoming very expensive to service as interest rates rise. Uh, and emerging markets are feeling the pain because a lot of their borrowing is in dollars and they aren't able to service at the, at the rising rates. So there is going to be a, a big problem in making the transition stable and keeping growth positive and servicing debts. I don't know how that works, but I think we have to collaborate on it. Finally, good news on technology and infrastructure. The future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. I built some of it. You know, I built, I built the tri-party repo system that, in, that is the interbank market in liquidity. I want to globalize that to every currency. I globalized dollars a lifetime ago. His name's Mason. Um, I want to globalize every currency to be liquid in the interbank markets now. And that then creates a basis for a more equitable world where wealth doesn't concentrate with the 0.1%. Wealth can be more evenly distributed to those that produce it. And as the world's center of economic gravity moves eastwards, now is the time to make that a reality. So thank you, if you like that, I just published the book yesterday. Hopefully you enjoyed that as much as I did. And that's going to be it for this week's SD Bullion Market Update. As always to you out there, take great care of yourselves and those you love. If you enjoyed this video, hit the like button and share it with those you love. Subscribe to our channel and hit that alert button so you know when we publish new Bullion Market Updates.